And welcome to season two of the Advent Calendar House, a podcast salute to all holiday specials, but mostly the Christmas ones. I am your host and a tiny chef emerging from a covered dinner plate carried by a series of exponentially larger chefs, Mike Westfall. And every day from December 1st through Christmas Eve, I'll be opening a door to reveal a different TV holiday special as a topic of discussion. But today's season premiere is a broader celebration of all adaptations, old and new, small screen and big, of Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And joining me to traverse all the noise, 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 noise from these are two very special guests. And to make it easier on everyone, we're all named Michael. (laughs) First, due north of Whoville on Mount Atomic Geek from such shows as the classic Film Jerks and the Pop Culture Retrofit Podcast, it's Michael Giovanni. Hello, Dijo. Hello. I, I'm wearing a uh, fat reindeer costume in spirit of this. You know, that classic character that's always appeared in uh, the Grinch stories? <laughs> you know, that that reindeer that just hasn't been inserted out of nowhere into the <laughs> of story? Of course. Fred. Everyone loves Fred. <laughs> And a man with more podcasts than there are feet in a pole in which I wouldn't touch him, including a, the brand new Sleigh Bell Cinema, it's Michael May. Welcome, Michael. Hey, thank you very much. Um, I'm glad to be here. And uh, something about a seasick crocodile. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you both for dropping in. And I'm just going to pull back the curtain now. This is my first episode of the season, but it's one of the last ones I'm recording because I knew I wanted to see and talk about this new Grinch movie by Illumination starring Benedict Cumberbatch. I've been waiting almost all year for this one. And let me start by asking what expectations you two had going into this one. Let us start with you, Mr. May. Uh, Really low. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure we'll end up talking about uh, Mr. Howard and Mr. Carey at some point, but that just put the bar on the floor. And um, I was really, really worried. Some of the trailers for this um, kind of made me uh, made me worry a little bit. Uh, You know, anytime you, you take this this children's story, which is, you know, a pretty short book. And you're trying to expand it into a feature film. You're going to add a bunch of stuff to it. And I really, again, I, I, I don't want to get give away too much about <laughs> the uh, the seething hatred that I have for the 2000 version. But, um, <laughs> oops. Uh, so I really hated the way that that version did it. And I was afraid this version was going to go down a similar path. And and like when you try to make the Grinch too relatable, um I just, you can kind of run into problems. So I was really just not prepared to like it. Uh, I actually wasn't even going to see it until um, you suggested that, uh, that maybe it'd be good homework for this. So um, that was where I was at. Well, apologies. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) DJ, I know you cited your kids as a guarantee you'd be going to see this. Yeah, I had to see it regardless of my thoughts. Uh, but my, but let me share my thoughts because it is an audio podcast. Um, I'm kind of in the same boat as Mr. May here in that I my expectations were pretty low. I, uh, you know, 
we've been burned at the movie theater by the Grinch uh, once before. And I think I remember watching the first trailer of this film. And I was a little like, what is this? This looks like the, hey, it's the wacky adventures of the Grinch. Like, I, it didn't even look like, hey, is he going to steal Christmas or something? Like, I was sort of like, how much are they changing this? But I guess as then, as I saw more and more trailers, as it got closer to release, I'm like, oh, okay, there maybe this is going to feel somewhat akin to the original. So, yeah, I think I got, I think I warmed up to it or the thought of seeing it a little bit more as it drew closer. Well, it appears we are all in the consensus that our expectations for this <laughs> were really low. I was also very skeptical uh, for similar reasons because of that 2000 version. And, but also because of the last Dr. Seuss based movie by this illumination team, uh, the mm-hmm. Lorax with Danny DeVito. Oh, right. Did you do your best to forget about that? Because I haven't yet. (laughs) I believe therapy has worked for me that I've been able to effectively block that out. Oh, so proactively right now. Proactively blocked it by not actually watching it. (laughs) I I think I saw the Horton Hears a Who one um, and quite enjoyed it, actually. Um, Did they do a cat in the hat? Not what else have yet. They done? That apparently okay. is in the works, but by Warner Brothers, I believe. So I'm okay. not sure what they're. I feel like there was. It was like I felt like there was two before the Lorax, but maybe I'm maybe I'm off on that. No, was Horton Hears a Who? I mean, th- no, the last Cat in the Hat they did was that one that I refused to see with Mike Myers. Okay, <laughs> not even touching that one. That the dark times we call that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was after that Ron Howard Grinch movie. Right, um, and I have the same issues with that of it trying to pad the time with too much new backstory that it didn't mix well with what they bought in from the source material. But I was hoping for the best with this one. Uh, but first, let's step back to happier times before I get any deeper and take a look at the original TV special from 1966, and indeed the first Dr. Seuss adaptation at all made for television, uh, directed by Chuck Jones. Now, is this a must-watch for you two every December or thereabouts? Yeah, you know what? Uh, it, it definitely... I definitely watch it, but it's not my must... It's not my first watch. I've uh, Out of the... You know, I hate to say that. I know I'm probably there's probably hissing and booing. They're like, why the hell are you on a Grinch podcast then? Uh, but yeah. it, it to me, it's one that you've got to watch, but it's not, it's not my favorite. And I mean, and I have my, uh, I have a very particular favorites of the holiday season, cough, cough, Rankin and Bass, but the, the, you can't really call it the Christmas season. If at some point you're not watching the Grinch, like I think the issue with it for me now, once again, to, uh, not to call me, you know, uh, super dad over here, but like to always reference my mm-hmm. kids, but my kids uh, are somewhat are pretty young and they find the Grinch from this cartoon version, the Chuck Jones one, a little scary. So oh. I think it's, uh, they find him a little, this version of him creepy. So it's not, it's, I've almost got to watch this uh, one by myself like without the kids. Michael. For, yeah. For me, this, this is top two Christmas specials. It goes Charlie Brown, the Grinch. 
And um, I love it. Yeah, it, it. I guess I always grew up with Chuck Jones. Um, he, he was always like I, I never really liked Tom and Jerry. Uh, and then eventually I kind of realized, you know, I like some Tom and Jerry. And the ones that I like, like the art style is really similar to like my favorite art style in the Looney Tunes stuff. And then I that was like Chuck Jones was like the first animator that I ever like knew by name because mm-hmm. I figured out like this was the guy who did all my favorites. And uh, then when I figured out he did the Grinch, it just like put him over the top. So I just I love his animation style. Everything is so expressive. Um, you know, Boris Karloff, like, you know, I'm a huge horror movie fan, like especially like the old Universal stuff, um, you know. The, the Tony the Tiger singing. Um, <laughs> it's just like all the stuff kind of coming together. Like some of the animation, you look at it and it, it doesn't quite, like, you know, you can kind of, you watch this thing as many times as I have, like every year for like my entire life. Um, you start to, to see like where they kind of cut corners in the animation and stuff, but it just, it is just so full of charm and it is so, like I was talking about, you know, my problems with expanding the story to a, a feature length film. Uh, length the 30 minute format is just perfect it's like you're in and out it, it tells the story it keeps the characters um and, and it keeps the point uh from yeah you know from dr seuss's book and uh it just it's great i'm definitely with both of you on this i'm with dj that it's not the first thing i watch uh and i'm very particular with the order and with i in which i watch things as Christmas looms near. I start. We start in our house with the Nightmare Before Christmas, right after Halloween, and then there's a break, mm. and then right after Thanksgiving, we put on Elf while we begin to decorate, and then Grinch winds its way around the second or third week of December is when we start to watch that. But uh, yeah, that makes sense to me too. It's like you got to be midstream. You don't kick off the holiday season with the Grinch for me, and you also don't. You're not. I'm not watching it on the 24th like i'm not watching it on christmas eve like you save (laughs) you save one of the big guns for that like a year without a santa claus or something right uh but you know you've got to respect the the uh the the grinch that this original chuck jones one uh, for everything that michael may said i mean it's got it drips with style it's the music is excellent the Mm -hmm. voice the voice work is great uh it's just it, it is a classic of the of the art form and of the season. There's there's no question about that. I'm just my, for my personal preference. I have other ones that are favorites, but it is far and away a deserving of its Christmas holiday classic status. Is it see? I'm fascinated by this idea of uh, like the order of of which you guys watch things because we don't really have one in our house. Like we just kind of about the time we get in the mood for something, we'll just pop it on. Um, but so do you you watch things kind of from favorite to least favorite? Is that kind of how it goes? Or It's not really a favorites list. It's just we started watching these on particular times between Halloween and Christmas that mm-hmm. we like to stick with that order of things. It's just like, well, elves are tree trimming movie yeah. and Nightmare Before Christmas is our week after Halloween movie. And, and yeah, in between there, we just kind of fit in everything what it is. But Grinch is a second or third week before Muppet Christmas Carol would come before that. Uh, <laughs> Michael and I have discussed on his show. Right. Um, but. Yeah. I don't necessarily have an order, but it's like, you know, when you get that chance for me where it's like, Oh wait, 
we so you're telling me it's okay that we can actually start watching these things because so then it's like I get I get it really excited and so I'm like I you know it's like you want to break into the to the to a great one first because you're like we're back we can watch this stuff again uh I'm telling you my my wife just adores this no she does not uh but uh so I usually get excited to watch a, a favorite like like the Muppet Christmas Carol or something like that first. And then we we kind of almost make it a rule where with my kids where I maybe have to enforce this, but that we watch a something Christmas related almost every day, not unlike the format of this podcast, where every yep. day there's a new episode for 24 days. Uh, now, sometimes stuff gets repeated because my kids will want to watch Elf again or again. But then I, there's weird things that make our rotation, like the uh, some like all of the other reindeer. Remember that? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And then the uh, when Murray saved Christmas. I don't know if anyone ever watched that. I'm not familiar <laughs> with that one. That's one they made. It's about seven or eight years old. Jason Alexander's a voice. Uh, Jerry Stiller is in. Uh, is in it. He's the lead character. He plays Murray. It's <laughs> Jerry Stiller's to, the main character. He's the main character. He plays Murray. And uh, the it's a really not a lot of people know about it. Like I said, it's seven or eight years old. It's very funny. I would plug that right now. I would watch it. It's become one that we watch every year. It's the yeah Murray Saves Christmas, I believe, is the title of it. Nice. I'll check that out. On the to-do list, How Murray yeah. Saves Christmas. Here we go. There you go. 2014. At our house, we typically, like, we're like a one movie or, or special a day family, too, like all through the holidays. So we kind of, we start off with the crappy ones and we work our way up to the good ones. <laughs> and, so Grinch is like, and, and I agree with Gijo, like it's not like a Christmas Eve kind of a watch for me, but it's definitely like that week before Christmas somewhere. Like we're really in the holiday spirit now and we really want to, um, you know, we're, we're, we've, we've saved up. We're, we're really, really ready to watch this one. Well, it's funny. When I was a kid, this was on one of those big VHS cassette of Things taped off the TV, but it was all Dr. Seuss <laughs> specials. So it's in the middle of the cat in the hat and the sneeches and Hoover Bloob Highway was another favorite. Of mine. <laughs> so I end up watching this year round. It could be August. And if I feel like watching something like Green Eggs and Ham, this is getting watched with no complaints. Right. Uh, so as mentioned, this is the first Dr. Seuss adaptation made specifically for TV. There were a few short films that were in the theaters before this. Uh, the one that sticks out in my mind is Horton Hatches the Egg, which was in the Merry Melody series. But Dr. Seuss was reluctant to make this happen after the disaster that was his first and only feature film screenplay, The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. But, I have yet to see. Oh, but it's on your to-do list. I figured it would be at Ab least there. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's yes. gained a bit of a cult following. I haven't seen it myself, but I definitely want to check it out, especially after recording this. But he eventually agreed, and it was MGM Studios who brought in Chuck Jones. And Mr. May, I am with you that I love his animation style. It's one that you can kind of pick out instantly, even with characters that have existed for years or even decades before, like Bugs Bunny. Uh, one that sticks out in my mind that's a favorite is the Phantom Tollbooth. He did an adaptation of that. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, 
And it's that same very specific style. It's in like the characters' faces that they all look like that's a Chuck Jones joint. But, mm-hmm. uh, but perhaps the most important style choice made with bringing this to TV was coloring the Grinch green. Because in the book, he's just white because it's all pen and ink with red highlights. But yeah. by, by 1966, CBS and all the other major networks were broadcasting in full color. So they needed they needed the Grinch to pop and they picked this lovely, sickly shade of olive green for him. <laughs> right. And thank God they did that. Eh? Uh-huh. Like, yeah. How off-putting would this be now if this character was white? You know what I mean? Like, it would just be weird. It really would be. It would be an interesting child style choice if they tried to color it like the book where everything's black and white with some red pops. But that's the only way that would work if the Grinch was any color besides green. Yeah. Just to show where my loyalties really are. Like, I when I read the book, it always hurts me a little bit that it doesn't look more like Chuck Jones and that he's not green. <laughs> like, <Yep. laughs> like, this is my version. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's so fascinating, the marriage of these two creatives though eh? that because it is instantly very recognizable that it's chuck jones but then it's got that very standard dr seuss style like you know mm-hmm. dr seuss all of the all the stuff has that mac I'm, i can never say mac is it mac groaning is that his name mac graining graining mac graining's like his stuff all has that simpsons yeah. look to it eh? the anime so it's like this instantly feels in both camps like you go oh yeah it's a dr seuss but it has that chuck jones personality to it right Right, like it's right it's a real interesting like uh synthesis of both of the artists yeah this is like the midpoint between them and it they just blend in this perfect point right here yeah Mm mm-hmm I love the dog. I think the dog when the moment where he's when they're going down the hill on the sled and then yeah. he's sitting he's sitting beside the Grinch and then kind of looks at him for a second and then has a that's a that's a cute moment that I always liked that I was uh uh and and you know the heart thing is so classic mm-hmm. the the way they 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 you know they do the X-ray into his chest yes. and stuff. That just is now I mean it's defining so much that it had, I mean, in in both big screen versions of it, they kind of had to duplicate that mm-hmm. that style choice, right, right. And that's a thing. That's just a throwaway line in the book, if I remember that correctly. They don't do the whole X ray thing. That's just like, oh, his heart's two sizes too small. Oh, and then it grows. Yeah, but you're right. It was done so perfectly that they had to redo it exactly like that. Yeah. Some of my favorite bits in the in the special are just like some of the transitions are really cool. Like uh, there's there's one where when he's talking about all the uh, the games and just the noise of the uh, Who's and their you know when they play with their toys yes. on Christmas and and then there's like it shows a close up of the, these yellow doors with red doorknobs and then they turn into the Grinch's eyes. Um, yeah. Oh, is yeah. it doorknobs? I thought it was. I thought it was another sort of game. It might have even been like the the top of two drumsticks. Oh, you might be right. You might I could be, be right. Rem- yeah, but it's something like that where it's, it's yeah, and they kind of that was a good these, transition. Yeah, and they they do that kind of thing a couple of times. Um, there's another one with Sidney uh, Lou like holding up the strawberry, and uh, then yes. that turns into the people of his eye. Mm-hmm. Um, ab- my absolute favorite moment of the whole thing, though, is that smile. That, yeah, 
Grinchy grin that uh, I got, awful idea. Yeah. And shout out to uh, to Tim Curry yes. in uh, I think Home Alone 2, where Home he Alone 2. just nails it. <laughs> yeah, that that cr- that curl smile that just like slowly forms on his face. That uh-huh. that I forget that is a, that that's gotta be that's an iconic moment. Like that's so good. Mm-hmm. Even as I remember that, I'm kind of feeling where your kids are coming from, DJ. <laughs> Well, it's true. I mean, when you, yeah. especially you, the voiceover, I mean, like his, his voice is a bit sinister, obviously, Karloff. And, but just like he, the, he's a little demonic in a way. I, my God, I sound like my mother now. Uh, but like he, <laughs> he's, uh, he is like uh, the way he's portrayed, he is a little, I mean, he's truly, this is the most evil sort of sinister of, the the Dr. Seuss characters, clearly. Oh, and, and it's like and and Chuck Jones really goes to town with that, making him kind of a dastardly villain, sort of at least at the start. Mm-hmm. Boris Karloff uh, also narrated the soundtrack of this. And he basically I don't know if it's the same exact recording, because you know how soundtracks are. But right. that was his only major award of his con- entire career was a Grammy for spoken word for this. Wow. He Get got no here. he got no Academy Award. This was it. Which blew my mind, but Yeah. That's like one of those stats like that you hear that you're like, "Wait, what?" Or <laughs> like like Orson Welles's last movie credit is the Transformers animated movie. Or, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I also enjoy that imagining of Christmas morning and all the crazy toys the Who children get. I wanted mm-hmm. as a kid, more than anything, to play with what the Grinch calls Zuzita Carze, a roller skate type of lacrosse and croquet. <laughs> I loved playing roller hockey What's... and street hockey as a kid, so that looked like my kind of game. What's so beautiful about that scene is it it does it looks so fun like you like I would love that to be Christmas morning right and just how much all of the Who's are enjoying Christmas and and, and you get it and you but you also kind of get the Grinch's point it's like if you're not into it if you're like an outsider looking at it that's got to be super annoying yeah because yeah, um, it's like the whole town has the si- similar level right like everybody's right. at a hard ten an interest here. Like, you know, you can see people that live on your street and you're like, wow, they really decorate. And then there's like five, six houses where they don't even have a wreath up. But like mm-hmm. the whole Whoville is everybody is amped for Christmas, which I think is fantastic. But I get it from the right. Grinch's perspective where you're like, if you're not into this, you're going to want to murder someone. I think. <laughs> 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 yeah. And you don't need, you know, this tragic backstory to, to help you understand his point of view. Like you just, you just get it. Like it makes sense. We don't, it's noisy. That's it. That's all. Right. Right. You see his head pounding and that kind of helps with the animation of that, but. uh, Right. Uh But of course we've got to talk about the music first and foremost. Your mean one, Mr. Grinch. Mr. Grinch. Also written by Dr. Seuss. He wrote all the songs for this, uh, and they were composed by Albert Haig. And this one in particular sung, as mentioned, by an uncredited but unmistakable Thurl Ravenscroft. You're a bad banana with a 
greasy black That was one of my first, hey, you did that other thing too moments when I realized Tony the Tiger singing this song about the Grinch. Uh-huh. My God, I had no idea that that's who that was. Who that was? Are you kidding me? That's a, yeah. that Tony the Tiger guy sang that song. Oh yes. Yep. Because I live near Orlando, he is also uh, one of the voices heard singing in my favorite theme park ride, the Haunted Mansion. The crypt doors creak and the tombstones quake. Oh my Lord! Now listen. This has been the greatest podcast experience of my life. Now that that piece of information <laughs> has, like, I on, like, I honestly, I had no idea. I in my countless years on this planet, uh, I had no, I, I'd never heard that piece of trivia. That is incredible. It is uh, like this is as far as these Christmas special songs. Like, I'm not comparing this thing to Jingle Bells for you know, but. As far as the mu- like music from songs from your favorite Christmas like specials, this sucker has to be top two or three oh, for the yeah. songs. Easily. And it has nothing to do with Christmas besides this one character, which is great. It's just, look at how much of a jerk this guy is. Yeah. Yeah. It is so great. And it's a song that I, I've heard many covers of, but I've never heard any that I like as much as the original. And, no. and maybe that's kind of a no duh kind of a thing, but, but nothing even comes close. And I've heard some pretty cool bands. Yeah. And people have had to attempt it for these movies too, but uh, nothing has been able to touch this one. It's just so iconic and it sets such a tone mm-hmm. that we haven't been able to duplicate it. But, but to your point, DJ, yeah. this voice was uncredited. I recognized it having the benefit of hindsight. That, that, that is kind of crazy. Yeah, but but Dr. Seuss apparently felt the need to call Thurl Ravenscroft himself and profusely apologize for leaving that out of the credits. And later he would actually write to several huh. columnists to make it known that it was Thurl Ravenscroft, not Boris Karloff, as people thought, since he narrated and also was the voice of the Grinch. But. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Seuss also wrote the words to the very Seussian welcome Christmas and trim up the tree. Trim up the tree with Christmas stuff like bingo balls and hoop hoop Trim up the tree with goo-hoo gums and beer And they're your standard Dr. Seuss poems there. I don't know if you guys have any comments about them. I love the... What, what's the name of the, the final song? Like the one they sing around the Christmas tree? It's just called Welcome Christmas. Okay, I was called like Baku Dore or whatever. <laughs> uh, but that always kind of gets me. Like that, that warms me up, um, and it's just because I associate it with the visual of these who's who have lost, you know, everything, as you know, materially, um, but lost nothing spiritually, and is just around that tree, just joining hands and singing and just like that song embodies the spirit of Christmas for me. It, it does. It's, and it's an earworm, man. Like once you hear that, <laughs> you can't get it out of your head. Like it is that. Like it's, it's so Dr. Seussian, no question, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's, it, cause, and it's weird. Like, I mean, when you think about it, it's just complete gibberish for, um, you know, half the song, oh, yeah. but it just, it's right. so, it's so, gets in your head and it's 
to your point, uh, Michael, it's like it it so associates that scene of them holding hands and kind of going around the tree. I mean, you can't separate it from that. Right. No, that was even the basis of a Christmas card my family sent out one year where we took that line of who's and kind of put it around the border. And then we dressed up the kids in little who pigtails. That's great. Oh, cute. Oh, and before we move on, speaking of uncredited performances, shout out to June Foray as Cindy Lou Who for one line. Santa Claus, why? Why are you taking our Christmas tree? Why? She was like the only female voice actor for like three decades, I think. Like, you know what I mean? They had they had to get, well, it's a little girl. because You got anybody? Someone called June Foray. Like, it's like, no one. <laughs> she did everything for like decades. And she's fantastic. But it just, you couldn't have got a kid to do that? I mean. I guess not. Well, Chuck Jones had once said, June Foray is not the female Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc was the male June Foray. <laughs> That's Yep. <laughs> And I guess was she most famous as Rocky is like that was uh, I think Rocky so. the that's, flying squirrel, not Rocky the boxer. I always think of her as the witch from the Looney Tunes ones. Her name's escaping me. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, probably Witch Hazel. Oh wait, that's Hazel. It no, it is Hazel. Yeah. But, I think it is Hazel, the one yeah. that like when she jumped, like when she kicked her and feet, she kicks like her, like, yeah. <laughs> and her body. Bobby pins always fly out. Her bob, yes. That's it. Her bobby pins <laughs> flopped out. That's I can where, hear that. That and Grandma, I think like yes. not, Grandma with like uh, Sylvester and stuff like that. Those are the two that are synonymous for June Foray for me. I think she did that Granny nice, role right. right up until close to her death. She only died last year. She was 99 years old. Wow. And she was still doing Granny and Looney Tune stuff. And she even did... Um, she was also the voice in DuckTales as Magicka Dispel, and she did that in some late video game in the last five years. But wow. Any other thoughts on Grinch 66, gentlemen? I want to watch it again right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just watch it tonight, but I want to watch it again. Well, no. unfortunately, <laughs> we let's get this one over with. We jumped to the year 2000 which saw the first feature film adaptation of How the Grinch Stole Christmas directed by former Fonz associate and recently noted soloist Ron Howard and starring Jim Carrey as the Grinch. So you're tight, loving, sickly, sweet, nog-sucking cheermonger. I really don't like him. Mm-mm. No, I don't. And they kept green for this movie because I think as we've established now, this TV special is a tried and true classic and trying to imagine the Grinch any other way, it, impossible. By gum, he's green. It says right. the Grinch is green. So, so Michael May, the floor is yours. What are your general <laughs> feelings about Grinch 2000? I remember being really disappointed in it when I saw it in the theater back in 2000. And I enough so that I haven't watched it since. And I wanted to watch it for this just so I kind of refresh my thoughts and um, just see if maybe I had been too hard on it back in the day. I couldn't finish it. I, um, I, I hate this thing. And part of it is just the Jim Carrey-ness of it. Like it is, it's even all in makeup. Like he is just Jim carrying it up and it's just, 
it's 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 not the Grinch. It's just him doing his shtick. But more than that, it is this backstory that they give him where poor Grinch, it's not him, it's the Who's. And the Who's are awful. And the Who's are all materialistic. And they don't understand the meaning of Christmas. And it really kind of takes the Grinch teaming up with Cindy Lou to explain the meaning of Christmas to them. And it just it completely misses the point of of the children's book, of the 60s TV show. Um, it just gets it all backwards and focuses on entirely the wrong things. And so it just it just drives me crazy. That was what – thank you for that because that was my biggest complaint about it that I went – some of the who's are dicks. Like there's, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, like, they're, they're jerks. Like they're like, I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. Other than like, she's everybody, like there's all these characters where you're like, they are not nice. They're not, they didn't come across like the who's at all to me. That was so off. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything that you said, Michael, it's such, it's a complete and utter, mess but in a in some ways it's a fascinating mess and a, and I'm strangely kind of glad that it ex- it exists so I can go what the hell was that like you know what I mean because it just <laughs> when you when you see even like the the makeup and like outfit of work on Jim Carrey is kind of good but also equally terrible you know what i mean it's just there's so much stuff that that you you look at the design of the who's and the choice of just everything about it is just strange it was something that never should have been attempted i like ever like dr seuss i think we've learned and also with the mike myers cat in the hat is that these things are best served through animation. Like these mm-hmm. things should not be made live action, but yet I'm strangely appreciative that it, this hot piece of garbage exists because you can look, <laughs> cause you can look at it and go, what was this strange experiment that they try? And like to your, to, as has been explained, it's like Ron Howard. It's Jim Carrey at his peak Jim Carreyness. Like it wasn't like this was some Roger Corman weird fantastic <laughs> four. You know, like this was like a hundred million dollar budget. Like they went for it, man. Mm-hmm. Like they huge sets, but it just it's just a complete disaster. Like in no other words, like everything is wrong about it, even when it's right. Because it's because it's live action of something that never should have been, it's wrong. But to be fair, like it made a bunch of money, right? It like did. this thing was yeah. a success and people love it. And and not to okay, yeah, I would like to take away from the pe- people loving it. Like I don't understand what's <laughs> wrong with the people who love it, but clearly people do. Um, and I think it's mostly people who were kids um when they watched it and they just kind of have grown up with it. But you know, this movie has launched a thousand kind of uh satirical pieces about you know how the Grinch was right and the who's are horrible and uh you know and I just I I hate that kind of mentality where like we kind of take the villain and turn them into the hero and and make a victim of them and um it's just I don't know it's a very kind of modern hipstery kind of thing to do but uh it's it all comes back to this movie like without this movie you don't have those thing pieces you're right. Yeah. Um, and I'm on board with all that both of you said. I, well, 
to the one point, I do kind of see the charm that it tries to create. It's very... We've only just escaped the 90s at this point, and there's a very 90s otherworldly art aesthetic to it that comes off mm. now is dated. But the only other movie I can think of, it's almost Tim Burton-ish. I think it was like Ron Howard trying to do Tim Burton. Huh. You know what? You're you're totally right. In a way, I'm like, they should have just got Burton to do this. It's like, they, <laughs> oh, they, man, I, I think Burton must have turned it down because it, it that is such a great point. Mike, uh, that it feels like he's aping Burton, Tim Burton here, like a little bit like this, like you, when you, like you're kind of going Ron Howard, it's like the sets were already built by for Tim Burton and everything. And then Ron Howard pulled a Han Solo again here and came in <laughs> at the last minute to do it. Like the only other movie I can think of from around this time that had a very similar kind of nineties, weird, otherworldly art aesthetic to it uh, is the sequel to Babe Pig in the City and that was George Miller yeah it was and, but and now that this whole visual style comes off very dated but that might only be because we lived through it um, but yeah I hate the whole subplot of the Grinch getting bullied I don't like that backstory I could never get on board with the character of Mayor Mayhew Oh. And because it just doesn't jive with what we're supposed to know about the Who's by the end of the story. They're still singing welcome songs to Christmas, despite getting all their stuff stolen. And in this, they try to write it back in as, hey, Cindy Lou Who was right all along and has been telling us about it. Her character I'm fine with. And I'll get to her in a bit after I complain some more. Um, <laughs> I also don't like how they try to wink too much at the grown-ups. I, I think there was a key party joke at one point during yeah, the Yeah, it was. Okay. I tell this to my wife, who did not watch it with me again, but I asked if she remembered that part. I'm like, are you sure it wasn't just, like, putting keys in a bowl so they wouldn't drive home drunk? Well, no, everything's walking distance. It's Whoville. It's a key party, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is a wild party. Like, they, they're, they're very heavily hinting there, and, and that's, like, isn't that that's like the flashback to when the Grinch shows up? Like, yes, uh, the, uh, ugly baby um, Grinch, right? And uh, yeah, and but like to be honest, even if you're construing that, yeah, leave your keys so you don't get too drunk. That's a little off Doctor Who a bit here. I mean, right. Doctor Who, uh, Doctor Seuss. <laughs> well, that's really off. <laughs> Both Doctor. really. It's really re like I mean they're getting wasted at these parties and like, they're like, they're swapping partners. Like you're right. It gets, it's just, there's very strange choices in this. It's all the, the, the who's and the backstory of the Grinch are just bizarre. Like what they, the, the script that they decide to go with for this is so strange, but I know Mike, you were going to talk about this. Cindy Lou is I found her very well casted, though. Her as a that little actress that they got for her, she was very sweet. It's tiny child Taylor Momsen. Yeah, it is. Really? It is Taylor Momsen um, introducing Taylor Momsen, the uh, the credits say at the beginning. So this is her first role. She, she went off the rails a bit, didn't she, when she got older? I mean... For a bit after, I think she was in Gossip Girl, and now she's in a band, and I forget the name of it. 
I'm sorry. Right. Pretty reckless. Pretty reckless, that's it. Yeah. But her as a kid, she made a really sweet little Cindy Lou. Like, she she did. And I think that's the one character that they kind of got right. Mm-hmm. And they had to build her up just to pad the... I don't think this is even an hour and a half. I think it just falls short of an hour and a half. But Yeah. But it feels a lot longer than that, though. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> But yeah, she th- that's one thing they did get right. And another thing they did get right was, I don't know if they got it right or if it's just a sign of the times, but they gave her the cute song, Where Are You Christmas? Where are you Christmas? Why can't I find you? Why have you gone away? It fits well there, and that's her singing. But then I don't think Faith Hill did that song any favors, but whatever. Um, (laughs) But quick shout out to the soundtrack for this one, because it is the most year 2000 soundtrack you can get out of a Christmas movie. There's a Smash Mouth saga there, right? Smash Mouth on here, Bare Naked Ladies, Ben Folds runs during the credits, uh, Busta Rhymes, NSYNC, (laughs) and of course the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Of course. <laughs> the most year 2000 Christmas related thing. Anything else you guys think works actually okay in this movie? Uh, Anthony Hopkins narrates it. I think he's all right. Yes. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He's no, he's yeah. no Karloff, but he's okay. No, but yeah, I, I like that they went... They still went with someone who's known for a more sinister role like Karloff was before him, who can mm, kind of, mm. and when he can, he can turn up the little warm, fuzzy feelings when it gets to that part, but it's still Anthony Hopkins narrating his children's story, yeah. which I loved. Yeah, that was a nice choice. I'm I'm having a challenge to give this thing any other accolades, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> perhaps the uh, font used in the opening credits was nice, if I remember. I don't know. <laughs> there uh, you go. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm challenged here, man, to try to get, I think we, we said Cindy Lou was cute, right? We said that. <laughs> we did. Um, I'm a, I'm a fan of anything Christine Baranski. Yes. Um, so I really do like her, um, regardless of everything else going on around her. Yeah. I mean, her place in this is just <laughs> off and wrong, but it's weird. Yeah. Oh, Christine Baranski as Martha May Huvier, which great name. <laughs> yeah. He, they but they look the who's look so ugly like they look like sea monkeys you know remember those sea monkeys <laughs> yeah oh wow i was thinking the twilight zone episode with the pig noses but kind of somewhere you're not you're not wrong either like it's just the all of them look so weird and grotesque yeah. it's just uh, it's just a spectacular failure i will say to jim carrey's credit he acted the hell out of this one and lumped in with the other choices that Dr. Seuss's widow, Audrey Geisel, had on a short list of other actors she had in mind. There's a quote here. Any actor submitted for the Grinch must be of comparable stature to Jim Carrey, Jack Nicholson, Robin Williams, and Dustin Hoffman. Dustin well, Hoffman. I think of those four, Jim Carrey was the right choice, but... To Michael's point much earlier, I think Tim Curry would have nailed it here. 
Yeah, yeah. Can you I, imagine Jack Nicholson in this role? That uh, I'm just I'm shuddering. Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> I, I, I'm stealing. I'm stealing Christmas here. Right? I'm stealing Christmas. <laughs> that is entirely based on him being Captain Hook. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm right, convinced. Right. You're right. right. You yeah. know what? Honestly, th- for the times. Who else were they going to – like, it had to be Jim Carrey oh, at this point. So, I mean, and I, I don't think it was wrong ch- uh, casting. I mean, it Jack Nicholson, that's really weird, uh, especially even at that era when this film was being made. It's just like I don't think he was miscast, and I think he tries to Jim Carrey his way through it. Oh, yeah. But – yeah. It's I don't think the the failure necessarily falls on him. I would say like a uh, uh, Jim Carrey, like I don't think you can blame this entirely on him. Oh no, not at all. Uh it has everything. Yeah, I I Well, yeah, I don't not know. Everything. I might disagree. I I don't think he was miscast. Um but I do wish that he would have dialed it down. Um maybe studied the the Chuck Jones performance a little bit. I well, <laughs> Yeah, Truman Show. Um, I mean, oh, you know, he's yeah. done some stuff that, uh, you know, like I would like if he had approached this as an actual acting role and and not just a, another chance for him to just do his shenanigans. Um, I think it could have been something. I mean, it, it still would have been bad just because of the, the script. Um, but at least his part of it, I think, could have been something different. Might have helped him now that you think about it, because I think Jim Carrey followed this up with The Majestic, which I love. Yeah, that is a good movie. Like, he has it in him, but I think he thought, and they hired him, clearly, mm-hmm. to just go b- bananas, right? Like, I think he was, that was the whole thought, is that they were doing, hey, remember how you did the mask? Well, this is kind of <laughs> like that. Like, it's like, I think that's sort of the direction he was probably provided, like. Could be. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I do have one fun little urban legend story that I'm not sure is true, but it was on Wikipedia. Most of the Whoville set was built on the Universal backlot behind another sinister landmark, the Bates Motel, uh, which would have been a better backstory huh. than the whole bullying angle. But there's an unconfirmed story that during a break in filming, Jim Carrey scared a tour group by running out of the motel wearing a dress and carrying a knife. I can, that feels like it's probably a true story. I think. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Was he in the Grinch costume doing that? Or oh, it doesn't say, it says an address, so I'm guessing not, but that would have been he, even better. Oh, man. That would have been even more horrifying, I think. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> to the makeup artist credit, this won an Oscar for best makeup. Well, there's some I, makeup. I but, yeah. uh, which was mostly yak hair dyed green. Good Lord. Well, it is pretty remarkable how expressive he can be through all of that latex and makeup. Um, like he, like, again, he, he is being total Jim Carrey in this, and that includes his facial expressions. And, you know, he, he gives it a good shot at doing the Grinchy smile too. Um, right. And it's like how, and this is the strange thing I was trying to say before is that, you look at a picture of him as the Grinch and you're kind of like, how could you have really done it better? But it still looks weird. You know what I mean? Like it just, they're kind of right. It's like the way that, you know, they did as good of a job as you could possibly have done of taking that Grinch character and putting it on an actor, 
but it just is something that was untranslatable, I think, in my mind. Like, it just, you can't, it's too something that was never meant to be. When Chuck Jones was doing this, I don't think they were ever thought, like, wonder who we'd cast if we made a movie out of this. Like, this was, <laughs> you know, it just, it wasn't ever intended to be live action, I don't think. Right. I think you're right. Yeah. To that point, uh, the Grinch has a permanent home down here in Orlando at Universal's Islands of Adventures theme park every November and December when they uh, do up the Seuss Landing Island of the park as Grinchmas. Have either of you been down here to Islands of Adventure? I have not. I go to Orlando and the magnet of Disney World just pulls me right there and will not let me go (laughs) anywhere else. So, no, I haven't. Understood. Well, this it's the second of Universal's Orlando parks, and it includes the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Marvel Superhero Island, which it gets to keep despite Disney now owning my Marvel, uh, and this Seuss Landing area, which is mostly kid-centric. Uh, and you can meet the Cat in the Hat and the Lorax, I believe, and Sam I Am and the other guy, which the, I think he just signs his name Guy, but... <laughs> and then you have the Grinch, who basically looks like Jim Carrey's Grinch because it's a Universal movie. Oh, right next to Cat in the Hat in full sort of Mickey Mouse type suit, and it just looks odd. But, yeah. but weird. So they they don't try to uh, replicate the uh, the Mike Myers Cat in the Hat, but they no. do try to replicate Jim Carrey. Okay, yeah, but uh, and they have a whole mercifully shortened to 20 minutes version of this movie uh, which is basically at this point at 20 minutes it's back to the dr seuss version again but they have to add in some of the other characters in the movie cindy lou gets her where are you christmas song in there and the grinch you'll see him walking around the park just shouting at people move it so uh and despite all the bad reviews for this one this is the second highest grossing Christmas movie of all time behind only Home Alone, as far as wow. dollars go. It made two two hundred sixty million. Wow. Of no diehard is not on that list, but yeah. that would not that would not crack the top ten. So because it's not a Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> Any last thoughts on Grinch two thousand? I think we got it. We got it. <laughs> well, that's a good cue to move it on to this year, 2018. We talked a little bit about our expectations going in, but tell me a little more what you think about this new version of The Grinch, Michael Giovanni. Well, you know what? Uh, as we've kind of all agreed on, our expectations were pretty low. And the, right off the start, I was off to kind of, I was getting a little nervous because I think you guys talked about this before the minute they had to do, you're a mean one. Mr. Grinch kind of wrapped. Like, I'm just like, you can't use the original song. Like you, you got the rights to this thing. Get that song. I was kind of cringing a little bit when I heard the, to the opening credits or the beginning. I, but all that said, th- this one, this film is far more successful in my opinion. Um, than the Jim Carrey, Ron Howard 
train wreck. Uh, this they still have to pad this out and extend it to be at least 80, 90 minutes. Um, so there is a lot more of, I mean, just his wacky schemes of being like trying to, uh, you know, show up and steal lights and get a, get a sled off of the roof of somebody. There's just a lot more scenes of the Grinch kind of prat falling and getting hit by stuff. There's a lot of that, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But they didn't – They the one thing that really made me happy was they play the Who's correctly for the most part, right? Yes. Like the the Who's are done pretty accurately. Um, they follow the story beats where, where necessary. Like you get the final – you know, everything's stolen and they sit – you know, they're there. They wake up the next morning and they sing. I was also a little – you know, initially Cindy Lou looked like she was going to be to the extreme, like she was, you know, <laughs> but she still is, they didn't go too far off character for her. I mean, she's much different than the original uh, uh, short, but all in all, I think that this is, it's definitely not, it's, it's not as disrespectful, I think, as the original, uh, as the, as the other uh, film. I think this one it's I think I can see why kids would like it and it's not as offensive to to adults. I I I thought it was animated really well. I loved the I loved the uh Whoville. I could have stared at that yes. forever. Like the Christmas decorations, the design of that town I thought was excellent. I could like I was looking in the background constantly. So I think for me, I think this, for what it was, was relatively successful. I agree. I really liked it, actually. Um, I and Like I said, going in, I was really concerned about how are they going to pad out this backstory. And there was, like, some of the trailers showed some, you know, scenes of, like, young Grinch being all lonely. And, mm-hmm. um, and that is his backstory, right? But what it doesn't do that the 2000 version did is blame the who's for any of it. Um, and it, it takes that part from the, uh, the sixties version where it's, it's just about this outsider looking at Christmas from the outside and feeling left out and feeling, um, just, you know, not a part of things. And, and it just, it increases his loneliness, um, which I think is something well, I know it is something that a lot of people go through. And a lot of people have that feeling around the holidays, especially uh, as we get closer and closer to Christmas. And um, it, it, the point of the movie becomes a little bit different from the point of the, the, the TV show, but I'm okay with that because it's still a great point, uh, which is about, reaching out and bringing someone who is not on the inside into the inside and, and sharing your, your Christmas traditions and your Christmas spirit with that person. And so they're not an outsider anymore. They're now an insider to it. And, and uh, I just thought that was really lovely and it is super funny. And um, you were joking earlier, DJ about the, the fat reindeer and, <laughs> but he is, I, I like that guy. <laughs> I did. I did too. I got, I have to admit, and he he's clearly a product of, um, all right, well, what else can we do in this movie? And, yeah. and it felt a little tacked on when you first mm-hmm. thought of it and you saw it in the ads, but all of his scenes are really fun. Like, I mean, the, the, 
My kids, for example, loved that goat that kept showing up. Like, oh, well, I and forgot <laughs> about the goat. How like, can I forget about that screaming goat? They <laughs> liked that where like that was the introduction when they were trying to get themselves a reindeer. So I, I mean, I for for a character that was clearly introduced just to add more time and plot, he's uh, he's likable. I mean, I could see I I. I he worked for me like the, what yeah. was the reindeer's name? Like, what Fred. was it? Fred. Yeah. <laughs> Fred, what Fred, I thought was a nice addition to the story. Well, and what I liked about him too, is that he, he kind of like the Grinch starts to kind of have this little family that way that he could actually, like, they're eating all at the same table together and yeah. he's kind of starting to get it. Right. But then, and, and this is, this, this, works really great in a couple of ways. So so you find out that Fred actually has his own family and he has to go back to them, which gets him out of the story when the Grinch steals Christmas. So it's just back to him and Max, which is what we kind of all want to see. Um, but it also like takes away something from the Grinch that, you know, was starting to kind of make him into a, a nicer person. Um, and, and, and so it just really increases like, uh, um, I don't know. It explains like again, some of the nastiness because he, uh, he, he kind of almost had it and then it was yanked away from him. And, um, uh, but then he gets it back at the end. And so, I don't know. I just, I thought it was handled really, really well. I agree with all of those sentiments. Um, I like how they wrote the Grinch. Like it seemed like he was fighting off feelings of joy and insisting to himself that living alone in this cave was for the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not an expert on how well they handle those sort of real life emotions of feeling alone or even condemning yourself to isolation around the holidays. But I haven't seen any scathing thing pieces on this one either. So well done, I hope. Um, yeah, I think Benedict Cumberbatch was a great choice. Yeah, heard, he was. Heard a bit mm-hmm. of that Doctor Strange sass here, but not, <laughs> as, not as much that it was distracting. In fact... He almost reminded me of Hugh Laurie's house, which is absolutely a Grinch-like character. Yep, that's right, actually a great right. comparison, yeah. Um, I like Cindy Lou Who's character here. Again, I had that same worry that she was going to be crazy, independent kid, and she was, but not insulting anyone. Yeah, they did, they could, they, they at, when she first started out and it was like, she seemed like, you know, a daredevil and like, hey, I'm I'm sledding down this hill. Woohoo! Like that sort of thing. I was kind of like a little nervous, but they <laughs> they skated the right. I mean, well, if I can keep on this analogy, like they just they they didn't go overboard with it. Like I think they stayed on that fine line where they had to develop her give her a bit of a different story to help out. You know, she was doing all this for her mom because her mom does so much for their family. Yes. It worked in that story, like even though yes, this was this was additive to the original uh, works. It still worked because they didn't fundamentally change her, and they the who's were played appropriately. That's even the new addition by uh, that what the guy from SNL who is the Keenan Thompson, Keenan Thompson, like he he was a fine addition to the story again because he still ultimately acted like an uber Christmas fan, uh, like, and like, which all who's are like, like he, there was no dickhead who is what we're getting at here. <laughs> right. They were all, even yeah. 
You know, they had, they even had a mayor. Mayor McGurkle, her name was, played by Angela Lansbury. But she just comes right. in, talks on a megaphone, and pieces out. Doesn't yeah. talk directly to the Grinch, if I recall. But I loved Keenan Thompson's character. I wasn't ex- actually sure who it was while I was watching it. And then until the credits rolled, and I was like, oh, because I'm still at the point where I can't believe the knuckle puck kid from the Mighty Ducks is now the elder statesman on SNL. That's amazing <laughs> to me. But Jeez, that's right. My God. Oh, well, actually, you know what? Talking about the credits, I had no idea until we were putting our coats on that I was like, the narrator was Pharrell? Like, yes! I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, I didn't pick up on that either. I Again, it was a familiar voice and I couldn't put my finger on it until Pharrell's name showed up on here. I wasn't crazy about him as the narrator. He doesn't yeah. do a bad job by any means. But after Karloff and Anthony Hopkins, I had gotten kind of used to my Grinch stories having more of a sly tone to them. So that that mm-hmm. one's on me. That's fine. Yeah, I agree. I, I, they should have had like Ian McKellen do it or something oh. like that. You know, <laughs> I agree. I don't think he was necessarily bad, but that's a, that's a, a creative choice that they could have improved. I think you could have had someone with a bit more gravitas doing the, uh, doing the narration. Uh, one thing I will admit too that I really liked, because obviously it was an, more of an extended sequence. Mm-hmm. I loved the gadgets that Max and yeah. uh, the Grinch <laughs> used to kind of take down Christmas. Like that scene was that like montage was so much fun. That was and it kind of uh, it, it kind of helped uh, explain like how he was able to do all this. In yeah. one night, too. And I love the scene where he's, like, planning it out. Like, he's planning his route, and his, this yarn is just going <laughs> all over like crazy. It's like, there's no way he's going to get all this done. And, and uh, But, yeah, those gadgets, uh, <laughs> they make it all possible. I do like that scene, and I like that they do it quickly, and they don't have to resort to kind of putting scenes on top of each other transparently like they do in both of the other versions. Mm, yeah. Just kind of get in. Here's... The Grinch stealing Christmas, and they sum it up very nicely. Um, yeah, but, they do. I mean, but man, I gotta, I gotta say again, the design of Whoville is stunning. Like it's mm-hmm. like the if you if you can't if you don't if you can't feel the Christmas spirit after looking at the decorations and design of that town after that. <laughs> I, I mean, I was smiling when I ca- by when I came out of that film, even if like because it just looked gorgeous. Yeah, and that's a very Dr. Seuss looking town where it's got that multiple levels and hills that kind of go down, and there are no straight lines in that entire town. And I feel right. like Ron Howard tried to do that, and it just didn't work. You're up on Mount Crumpet at the end of the. Ron Howard movie and you're looking down on Whoville and you expect to see this big majestic town and it just it looks so tiny compared to this they nailed it yeah the one thing I didn't mind it at the time but as I thought back I wish that we're they tried to do the Grinch face in this style and it it doesn't come off the same and it also doesn't come off in the same way. He doesn't get that wonderful, awful idea of becoming Santa Claus right. in the same way as the other ones. In the other two versions, he sees Max, he's got this sort of beard of snow on his face after getting knocked in the snow. And here it just comes out of nowhere. 
yeah you're yeah you're not you're not wrong there like uh yeah there wasn't that like he he's generally unpleasant at the start but there's not that classic like you know conniving despicable looking face like you don't really the the uh, maybe it's the animation style that they just couldn't pull that off or so. yeah but he is i mean he gets hit and Pratt falls a lot, eh? Like there is a lot <laughs> of like it's it's t- talking about Chuck Jones. It feels a little Roadrunner and the Coyote at times here because the Grinch gets smushed by things a lot in this movie. It does, and yeah, you bring that Roadrunner comparison up. I did feel that, especially in a lot of those chase scenes. But at the time, I was thinking, well, this has that same feeling as the as the ride down the mountain in the beginning, which, again, also mm-hmm. feels very Chuck Jonesy because it was him. But, right. Uh, and lastly, I like how they handled the soundtrack here. They stuck with the classic Christmas tracks. You have Nat King Cole. You There's a pentatonics acapella version of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen that's actually performed by a group of Who's. Uh, who followed the Grinch around? Run DMC is on here. That yeah, was that was dope. Like when they played that, <laughs> I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" That this has made that. <laughs> I laughed out loud in the theater. And I like that they we got the they they literally did they use the classic like uh, Da Who Dore? Was that like the original song, or was no, it just? I they... think they re-recorded that, but it's the same. It's the same lines. It's the same song itself. They just re-recorded it. It sounds very similar to the original. Like that that ending, I was like, they nailed that doing that. That's why I was just like, you couldn't have just used the original lyrics to the You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. You didn't have to like rapify it. That was my only like eye roll to the music. I hated that uh the opening song. Yeah. But but the the rest of the music was very well selected. I'm with you. And so far, it's been a big hit. It was made on a budget of $75 million. It's already made double that worldwide. Uh, And as of this recording, it is the ninth highest domestic grossing Christmas movie of all time. Wow. Do you know what's crazy? I just found out about this on listening to another podcast, that the co-director of that movie is Scott Mosier. That's... uh, that's Kevin Smith's producer who did all of like clerks wow. and all rats and stuff like that. I was like, wait, that guy co-directed an animated film for illumination. Like, where did that come from? We live in a crazy world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it also had the biggest opening weekend of any Christmas movie Topping the 2001, which was on the top, and I think Home Alone's third. But so it has. Wow. That. I think it's only going to get bigger and better as we get closer to Christmas. As we're recording this again, this is dropping December first. It's still November as we're talking. So let me just—I didn't really chime in on uh, Bricklebaum, which was Keenan Thompson's character, but I, I totally agree with you guys. I, I like him a lot. Um, I, I like how he represents that. Like the Grinch isn't as lonely as he thinks that he is. Like he like Bricklebaum <laughs> always thinks of Grinch as his friend. And uh and the Grinch, you know, just kind of blows him off. He doesn't want to be friends with him. But Bricklebaum is just and he, he feels like he's kind of an outsider himself, right? He uh, he's he's a little bit weird, he's a little bit huggy, 
Um, I think he but, lives uh, on the edge of the Whoville there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But he's still like welcomed as part of the community, especially uh, around Christmas time. And um, so like, you know, he, he's kind of like a bridge character between the Grinch and the Who's like he uh, he's kind of got a foot in both camps a little bit. And so I really like him. And another thing I think they did right is that he didn't overdo it. He didn't try to overwelcome the Grinch. Like, come on, come on down here. Yeah, he's not obnoxious. He's No. He extends the invitation and then backs off when the answer is no. Right, right. Well, thank you both again so much for helping me kick off this season. Uh, It's going to be a fun one this year. Uh, And if people want to return your last can of hash, where can they find you on the internet, Michael May? Uh, michaelmay.online is my website and that's where you'll find links to the various podcasts that I do including Slave Bell Cinema which uh, kicked off this year with uh, with Mike Westfall and um, on Twitter I'm at michaelmaycomics with an X and uh, please chat at me there I'd love to talk and Michael D. Giovanni um, I'm uh, as you mentioned so eloquently I'm on three podcasts most notably the classic film jerks. Uh, but I also appear on pop culture retrofit podcast and we still do the atomic geeks from time to time. So search for all three of those on all internet places and you'll find me. You can find this show and all the show notes from today and places where you can subscribe and such on the web at adventcalendar.house and on Twitter at adventcalhouse. Gentlemen, thank you so much again for stopping by. Thank, thank you. you. And with that, for Michael D. Giovanni and Michael May, this is Mike Westfall saying, please watch out for that icy patch. <laughs> The Advent Calendar House is part of the Christmas Podcast Network. To find more shows like this one, visit ChristmasPodcastNetwork.com. Hi, everyone. Dwayne Bailey here from the Tinsel Tunes Podcast. Did you know Silent Night is the most recorded holiday song of all time? Over 137,000 times and counting. Come join us each month as I dive into Christmas music and reveal lots of interesting facts like that. Also, learn about your old favourites as well as getting a heads up for the new music each season. We're on all the podcast networks like iTunes, Stitcher and Google Podcasts. Check out our website tinseltunes.com for all the links as well as our socials. I look forward to seeing you all soon. Next time on the Advent Calendar House. Blast off to a galaxy far, far away. It's the Star Wars Holiday Special, starring all your Star Wars favorites. Will Chewbacca get home to his planet in time for the big Wookiee holiday celebration? Watch and find out. <laughs>